Oh, good morning. Is that on? Yeah. You can hear us, yeah. Champion. Let's let's pray before we come before God's word this morning. Be still and know that I am God. Father God, we come before you this morning as your children, those who know you as Lord and as Saviour. We come into this place, Lord, to uh, learn from you and you alone. For this word that you've given us is your word. And Lord, you use weak servants to bring that word. And you've done that and use that method for decades, for centuries, Lord. And we praise you for that, that you've preserved your word even to this moment. So, Father God, may we see the Lord Jesus for who he is in your word. And by your Holy Spirit, learn more of you. Learn who we should be and who we are in you and what our response should be to your word, O oh God. We bring this before you humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I seem to be leaking this morning. I don't know, I just keep leaking. Um, so I do apologise. Um, okay. So, we're continuing in Acts, and it's chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. As David was saying, it's, it's headed up, the fellowship with the believers uh, in the NIV. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to their fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number dearly those who were being saved. This is God's word. And being the dad of a photographer, I know what a photo is. Okay? And I'm going to sort of think about a photo. It's a snapshot in time, isn't it? A photograph. And it gives us an idea of what it was like in times gone by. And I'm sure most of us, well, if you like Tracy, she's got, she's got a whole life catalogued um, in photo albums. And sometimes you dig them out. This was back in the day, kids, when there used to be physical sort of photographs. Um, but you might swipe your phone or you might get Google reminding you from a past time of what a certain particular snapshot in time was like. And this is what our passage is like this morning, this small but uh, informative passage for us as, as a body of believers. It's like a family snapshot, if you like, of the early church, who it was and what was important to them. And it allows us to compare the church then and the church now, both here, the local church, 
and the church as a whole um, and, and see and when you, and you can compare with the church now and ask, what do you see when you look at this snapshot of the early church? Can you spot any similarities or differences to the church today? Do you see something new or surprising, possibly? Or is it a reminder to you of what it means to be church? And how far should we go as church today to recreate this snapshot of the early church? So that's where we're going to go this morning. So just to set the scene, um, this was an extraordinary special time for the early church. It was a feast time in Jerusalem, which we were hearing about over the, the last few weeks. And people will have travelled far and wide to get there. The re- and we heard uh, last week there was around 3,000 people were rejoicing in the new faith and fellowship. 3,000 in one day. I mean, it's just astounding when you hear that, that figure. But this was hardly the time for just thinking, oh well, that was good, let's go home now. They wanted more time to be with the apostles, to, to be taught by the teachings of the Lord, to be discipled by the apostles, and make personal friendship with other believers. They wanted to be there, they wanted to be there together, to strengthen, to equip each other, to be faithful witnesses for Christ, wherever he was going to send them next. They wanted to be right there in um, early Palestine. And this is where the early church found itself, it was in poverty-stricken Palestine, having its own cost-of-living crisis at the time. There were many early members of the church had given up their jobs in Galilee, and new believers from other places wanted to stay in the city for those reasons. They were drawn by the Holy Spirit, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship with the believers, and the hope of Jesus' return. But there was practical, and there was the logistical stuff going on as well. And many people needed practical help. So this is like the setting of where we're where we are this morning. Um, In one sense, it was quite a unique situation, but the main principle which we're going to get this morning is what we need to take away. So this selling of the possessions and goods, goods, let's get this one out of the way straight away, this was a spontaneous and loving response to that specific need at that specific time. It's not saying to create some hippie commune, uh, similar hippie, like a, 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 what they call them, um, that's the word, kibbutz. Thank you. Uh, like a kibbutz. So this wasn't what we're thinking about. So let's get that thought right in our heads from the start because it helps us as we go through the passage because sometimes it can be misunderstood. But it will show as a general snapshot. It's a great example of what Christians can and will do when the love of God is applied to a real need. So we're going to be thinking of two things. We're going to be thinking of Four things the church was devoted to that are within our control. And we're going to think of three outcomes that we can't control. So a question for you. What are you devoted to? We heard that that word there, they devoted themselves. What are you devoted to? Could be gardening. Like, Like, it's not for me. It could be sport. Like, it's not for me. Could be music. Okay, we got there. Could be reading. Could be TV. Could be exercise. Still not for me. Um, It could be any of those things that you devote and commit your time to. Hobbies, if you like. Uh, A lot of them. But this word, they devoted themselves to. Let's just think about that. 
This is more of a serious commitment that we're thinking about on another level. Um, for an example, like marriage, family, starting a family, starting and maintaining uh, a job. It's not just a hobby. This is a serious other level commitment. And that devoted themselves to a phrase literally meant to stick like glue. And that's a lovely, wonderful image to get, keep in our heads. It's to stick like glue. So the first thing that they devoted themselves to, we're told, is the teaching. The apostles' teaching, it says. What does it mean by that? Well, all the way through Acts, what we've got to keep in the back of our minds in, to give the context is that Luke wrote his gospel account, and then, after a bit of time, he began to write this account in the Acts, what's commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles. But really, it's the ongoing work of Jesus, the ongoing work of Jesus that we're thinking about. So this is the context of it. And these were the words of the eyewitnesses, the actual eyewitnesses, to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it came with this amazing power at this time. And we heard about Pentecost just recently. So it was based on Jesus' earthly teaching. These guys had knocked about with Jesus for three years or so. So they had listened to him. They'd been with him. There's some of it's recorded for us. There's probably a lot more, we're told, or John tells us, that he couldn't fill, we couldn't fill all the books in the world with his teaching. Plus, if you remember, what he taught the apostles in the 40 days after he was resurrected, he was still teaching to the very end when he ascended uh, to heaven. So listening to the apostles' teaching to them back in that day and to us right now is like listening to Jesus' teaching. And that's a wonderful thought to keep in our minds as well. So the early church gave their constant attention. This is the word that they the wanted to get across to us in the original language. They wanted to give their constant attention. It wasn't just this sort of like hobby that they picked up every now and then and put down or got bored with and went on to something else. They kept at it. Because if, it if a church doesn't teach God's word, it's not church. And there should, be an there should be an enthusiasm for sound preaching and teaching. And that's something, without getting sort of proud about it, that's something that's been impressed upon me from day one as being a new Christian here. That the sound preaching and teaching of God's word has been a staple, a staple diet of anybody who's walked through these doors the last 40 years or in homes. And praise God for that. So it was the, it was the personal commitment of baptized believers. And this is the vital role of, of us as church. This is the vital role of the church. And they, 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 they were slowly discovering this. It was established by Christ in the first place. Let's not forget that. And the disciples and apostles were appointed by Christ. Let's not forget that. It's Christ, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who started all of this off. And he continues that work through his Holy Spirit. And he does it through this, the means of his word. He does it when we break bread and share the wine together, when we remember the Lord Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He does it through those things. And here's the thing. We're accountable to one another. We can look around this morning and think, oh, we're such and such. Or, oh, praise God, that person's uh, here today. 
you know, it might be because of illness, it might be because of other reasons, but we can be accountable, accountable to one another. And if we think somebody's maybe wobbling a bit or, or whatever, that's what church is about. That's what church is actually about. So a couple of questions before we move on. Where do you get the majority of your teaching from? Is it from your local church here, if it's here? Or is it from some less accountable source, like on the internet, uh, YouTube or whatever? Where are you getting your teaching from? Is it accountable? Check it. This, it the word tells us, always check what you're being told. If you're not sure, uh, come and ask someone. If you've read something or heard something on the internet and you're not quite sure, does that, is that what God really says? Go back to his word. If you're still not sure, ask someone. Never be afraid of asking countless times. That was my mantra when I first became a Christian. And there was some very patient people who stuck with us. Another question. Are you meeting together with God's people to listen and learn together from God's word? Is that, your, is that your daily, weekly habit? It doesn't always have to be in a formal setting, and we're going to be thinking about that in a minute, but are you, are you doing that regularly? Do you see the importance of it? These people did in our snapshot this morning of the early church. The second thing we hear about is they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And if you notice how many times this sort of word together, or togetherness, if you like, comes up in, this, in these verses. And being an expert in Greek, that's another thing I'm not. Um, it says, it, it, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but it's koinonia, we'll call it. And what that meant was participation, sharing in, causing to share in something or someone. And in this case, sharing in God. God was present with this whole community because they shared in the spirit. And despite the differences and difficulties, because there were differences and difficulties, because sometimes, sometimes I have this, maybe it's like a, a rose-tinted super Marvel superhero sort of version church of thinking like, oh man, they were just, they had it all together. They never disagreed with anything. They never had any difficulties or um, disappointments. They did. And they were different. We're all made uniquely in God's image. We're all made uniquely in God's image. And sometimes that might rub up against each other. But they had a common bond that held them together. Remember that word? Sticking together like glue. That sticking together like glue. And really what they were doing was fulfilling Jesus' prayer um, in John. His wonderful prayer towards the end of John. It's John 17, 20 to 23. John 17, 20 to 23. I'll just read that particular portion of his prayer. And this was for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe me in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus wanted more than anything for his followers, his children, 
his disciples and those that would come afterwards, us, right now. He wanted them to be together, stuck like glue, and trusting in him and enjoying that wonderful relationship that he had and has with the Father. He wanted that. That was his prayer. So it's about being together and not just on Sundays. It's Christ-centered. It's mutual affection and action. So it can be joining in worship anywhere. Nobody's to say that it all just happens in one place on one particular day, although this is a really special day. I'm not detracting from that. So it could be in conversations that you might have during the week. It could be in a meal over a meal. I was thinking about this and talking about this uh, the other bank uh, one of the bank holidays uh, last week uh, with someone uh, that we hook up with. And just how it's a simple action as a meal can break down barriers and uh, open up somebody to sort of like talking about stuff. It doesn't have to be heavy, but just be like, how are you getting on? And there's just something about a meal that has that wonderful quality of doing that. And I'm assuming we're going to all make a meal of some description. I mean, meal can be quite broad. So even if you're not a, um, a Michelin-starred chef, we can still do that wonderful, simple action of sharing a meal together. Sharing a coffee and a muffin or whatever. I don't know. That's your meal. So it's within our reach. And it can be working together. And praise God, um, I mean, obviously there's been a break, but that's going to kick off all again. All the, week, the weekday groups are going to kick off again from next week. And praise God for the faithful week in, week out work that people put in here uh, to reach out um, to the community around us. Um, so church really is about going internally, with those things that we've been thinking about, to reach out externally. You've got to have something coming in for to, to be effective going out. If you're not taken in from God's word and meeting regularly with these people, being accountable to those people, well, you could be a firecracker going off with some wrong teaching, or it could be that you're preaching no gospel at all to these people. So this is why we have church. And there's that phrase, isn't there? All the believers to it were together and had everything in common. Again, this doesn't mean that we're clones. Just look around, you know, not clones. And it doesn't mean it's some kind of Christian communism. That, you know, generous giving was encouraged. It's generous giving was encouraged, but not forced by a government, which is what communism was and is. It's, it's, a, it's a voluntary generosity that the church were encouraging and they gave to anyone who had a need. We've been the wonderful, we've, no, we haven't been, we've been the Receive, on the receiving end, some wonderful um, giving over the years. And praise God for that. And I would never draw attention to any one particular individual or people. Um, but God has blessed us when we've had a need. And it doesn't always have to be anything massive, but just saying, I'm thinking about you. Have this. Or I know that, that you're going through this time. Or whatever. They see the need. And praise God, I say that time and time again, looking on. Uh, in this body of believers. So this is what my point was earlier. Selling the goods and possessions. It doesn't mean, right, okay, we'll all just run and sell our houses, put it all in a big pot in the middle of the hall, and just say, right, you know, if you need something, just, just get it, and we'll just all sleep in sleeping bags. It's not saying that, because if you look into the New Testament, 
They still met in their homes. So they still had a home. It was just that they used what they had. They saw the need and they thought, right, what can we do? We'll sell some of our possessions. Could be a field, whatever. We'll give, give it to the apostles and they'll distribute that money accordingly to whoever had a need. That's what it was all about. And that change of heart, it's that change of heart that leads to a practical love and generosity. There has to be that change of heart. And these Christians, they love to meet together publicly, privately. They met to get together daily in the temple courts or in the homes. It didn't matter. They just wanted to be uh, together, stuck like glue. And why? Because that, that's what, when we're talking about personal discipleship, that's what it's about. It's, I think I've realized how, much, how, how important it was. If you can cast your mind back to, say, around... March, April 2020 time, the actual proper lockdown, as I call it. Think about that time. Now, I don't want to take people down this dark tunnel here. Think, <laughs> Zoom meetings, you know, but people were thinking of things, weren't we? You, you opened your door and there was something on your doorstep saying, I'm thinking about you. Or, you know, you might get something through the letterbox. Or you might get somebody over Zoom having a chat with you. Or, or whatever it was, you know what I'm getting at. Those things made us, I dare say all of us realize what the important things were of being church. Um, and maybe looking back, it was a good thing because sometimes we can take each other for granted. Um, so maybe it was a good thing, really. And I, I, I certainly know, I hopefully learned um, more about the importance of that. But this is still the daily reality. David alluded to this, you know, we can meet freely. That was kind of like took out of our hands with lockdown. But we could still freely meet whichever way we could. And when we got back together, we, still, we can still meet freely. The, the daily reality of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world is that they can't do that pre-COVID, during COVID, or right now. Whatever you want to see it. That isn't a privilege they have got. So let's not take it lightly. Let's not take it for granted while we still can enjoy that. So a couple of questions to, before we move on. How can I spur on a brother or a sister in Christ to love and good deeds? How can I spur on a brother or sister in Christ to love and good deeds? Because that's a thing of what happens in church as well. On your own, maybe it's less so. But together, you can see a need and then try to meet that need. Or you can spur somebody on to, to do a good deed. And the other question... Are you in or out of the habit of meeting together with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you in and out of the habit of meeting together with your brothers and sisters of Christ? Because it is a habit. Albeit a holy habit, it's a habit. Let's move on. The other thing they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. It said they broke bread in their homes and ate together. The Greek, again, it meant at home or from house to house. That was the actual word that they were saying, from house to house. So it's hinting that there were a number of homes were available to them for the Christian meetings over a shared meal. So there was formal and informal gatherings. And praise God, we've enjoyed that over the years, haven't we? We've, we've enjoyed um, fellowship groups, it, when there's been a season of fellowship groups, um, Friday night meetings, both past and present. Um, all those things have 
come together so that we can meet around God's word, possibly a meal. And there might be countless other much, much smaller, more informal stuff going on that I mightn't even know about. You might know about it. You might invite friends for a meal. But during that meal, there might be some discussion and there might be a time of prayer. I don't know. You might break the bread and have the wine in remembrance of the Lord. I don't know, really, but praise God if you are. There was just this, um, what does it say? They had glad and sincere hearts. There's a joy and there's just a simpleness of heart that, that the, the, the church had then. And it was grounded in this wholeheartedness to the Lord. And there was a desire to meet together. That's the reason for their glad and sincere hearts, a desire. I always remember Alison Crean, um, and I still recount this when it's appropriate, said in one of our AGMs, we've got an AGM coming up, obviously. But this was an AGM probably a few years ago now. And she said, um, you know, we were talking about, well, we could change this and we could have this on this night instead of that night because that clashes with that commitment of mine that I don't want to let go of. So can you change this? Can you change it? And there was all these things being suggested. And then Alison quite simply and quite graciously said, well, we can do all of that. But really, if you've got the desire to be with God's people, then you'll make that time. You'll adjust your weekly schedule. You'll, you'll do whatever you can to get amongst God's people. You'll do it. Because what, we're all human and you'll always make time. I always make time for the things I want to do. So is that desire, is that desire there in your heart? It was in the hearts of these people, albeit it was all new to them, but it was in their desire. And maybe that's the thing. You have that honeymoon period when you first become a Christian, and it's all new and it's all fresh, and you, you just kind of get enough of being with God's people and God's word. And then that, the honeymoon does go off, and that's normal. The honeymoon does wear off. Don't think that's an abnormal thing in your walk with Christ. Because then the day to day, the week to week reality of living by faith kicks in. You think, oh, right, it's not always a bed of roses. It doesn't always go my way. God might lead me down a path that I don't really want to go down. So that can be the reality of what's going on as you walk in your walk as a Christian. Nobody promised a bed of roses when you become a Christian. Never says that in God's word. So there was a joy in God and a fear in God, a fear of God. You see those two things that sound like opposites, and they are in one sense, but it's an authentic work of the Holy Spirit um, for both. And it's a, it's a healthy combo. It's a healthy combo. That joy and awe and reverent fear been singing about the formality and the informality of meeting together there's not a right and wrong there both both getting a healthy balance of worshiping God it keeps you and me grounded so why do we do it it keeps you and me grounded in God and we can spur each other on if we try to go at ourselves what's going to happen I know what will happen if I went by myself and it wouldn't take long but if that's not your desire, then perhaps you need to stop, be still before God and change your way of thinking and your priorities. A couple of 
couple of questions before we move on. It's an opportunity basically to ask yourself and myself, is my desire to meet with God and his people regularly? Is that my desire? And whatever that answer might be, do I need to turn back to God and pledge my life once more to him? Is that you this morning? Do I need to turn back to God and pledge my life once more to him? That's not talking about, don't hear me wrong before we move on there, about your salvation. Your salvation is secure in Christ from day one. That can never, you can never be snatched out of his hand if you're his. But you walk with him, Satan will buffet you, as we've been thinking about in the song. Satan will buffet you because he hates it. He hates seeing Christians together. He hates seeing Christians enjoying uh, God's word and learning from him and from one another. He hates it. He hates it with a passion. And he will hate it till the end of all things. So don't be under any illusion, you know, that this is um, anything to do with your salvation, but it's about your walk that can be affected. So do you need to pledge back to, to God what you promised in the past? And the final thing that they the, the were devoted to and the stuck like glue do was prayer. So these new believers, let's get back to the early church, these new believers now have got a relationship with God as the Father, so they can speak to him through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And they saw it as a priority. It was one of the four priorities that they could control. And then, again, the verb, the, the word that's used, it gets that constant attention. That they, they, they wanted to be with God with that constant attention in prayer. So this would be frequent prayer meetings, in, again, informal, like private or family prayer in our sort of setting. It could be prayers and house meetings. I said I wouldn't draw attention to people, but I was so encouraged because I'm not a big Facebooker, as probably most people have gathered by now with the Vastas. But I did notice a, a bit of gold dust amongst it all um, when Susan Phillips organised a, a, just an impromptu prayer meeting um, with Sam and I believe other people. Uh, there might have been one or two other sisters in Christ there, there that morning. And that just thrilled my heart because that wasn't something that somebody was going, right, you got to arrange a prayer meeting right now, okay? And if you don't, we'll be on to you. It was something that poured, it came from within. You remember that thing I was saying earlier? It's, it's, it's the feeling within to, to reach out effectively. And praise God for, for, for these types of impromptu things. Now, that's something I know about. There might be many other things that I don't know about that's going on. So it doesn't have to be the set prayer meeting. But there are set prayer meetings. And like the current Tuesday evening prayer meeting, the early church, if you just look to the next passage that will be considered in after Bassenfell, the first verse of chapter 3 says this, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer three in the afternoon. It's almost like a 7.30 on a Tuesday, isn't it? Sounds familiar? There were set times, there were times when they knew there was going to be people of God meeting and they wanted to be there as well, as well as the, the meetings in the, in the home, the more informal meetings. 
So here's some questions. Do you meet together informally and formally with your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray? Do you meet informally or formally with your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray? It's a simple question. There's, there's only one of two answers. If the answer is no, then is the desire there at least? And what changes would you need to make in your daily, weekly routine to make that happen? Like I was thinking earlier, you'll make something happen if you really want it and desire it. And if you come to us after and say, well, that's not my experience, I'll call you a liar. Prayer. Prayer is like the vital signs of life for a healthy church. Whether it's informal, on your own, with your family, or a few brothers and sisters together like um, Susan's, or whether it's something, a bigger gathering of people meeting either on the Tuesday evening or on a Friday evening, or where, whatever it might be, or if we have fellowship groups again in the future. It's, a, it's, it's the pulse. If you want to check the pulse of the church, check how its prayer life is, both of the individual members and the, the corporate prayer life of the church. And that will give you a pretty good idea of how healthy the church is. And all of this led the early church to be an evangelistic church. There weren't a bunch of navel gazers. Yeah? It made them feed internally so that they could reach out effectively um, to those around them. So you need to get that balance of these things that they devoted themselves to at the start of our passage and get the balance that with that with our final verse of 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they weren't self-centered. They weren't self-obsessed. They were Christ-centered and Christ-obsessed. There's a massive chasm of difference that you cannot cross. You're either one or the other. Um, and sometimes it can, it can be a danger that you can become a bit too insular. And I think, if we're honest, sometimes we've been like that, possibly, in times. See, so we need, to, we need to be Christ-centered and Christ-obsessed and encourage one another in that. Because the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit and the church should be too. So very briefly... The three outcomes we can't control are what we see in the middle bits. There was fear or awe, depending on the translation that you've got. Um, one of the translations I read said this, and, and fear came upon every soul. It's a reverent fear. We've been singing about it this morning because of the signs and wonders and because the church was saying to be a people of God, a people who took God seriously. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So there was a reverent fear. But we can't control that. There was also that phrase where it says, They were enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, to some extent, the way you act can have an impact, but you can't make a person um, give you the, their favor. Um, in John, again, John, Jesus said this, so it's important. John 
13, 34 to 35. And notice the word he uses. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People seeing the love Christians have for one another, it's an attractive, noticeable public witness. So if these things that you're devoted to are doing its work, it, it's going to come out. You mightn't even realize it's coming out and doing it at, at your workplace, at your uni, uh, wherever you find yourself, in your neighborhood, on the bus with someone. These things, hopefully, will become just a natural part outpouring from you. Um, Daniel was telling us about a question that they asked at the youth club um, a few months ago now. Uh, what makes someone a Christian? Now, although, the, yeah, and what, this, what, what one of the kids said, basically, I'll explain what the kids said first. Uh, one of the kids said, someone who has joy in their guts. What makes someone a Christian? Someone who has joy in their guts. And he really liked that, he said. It wasn't what he was growing for. You know, what, what, what makes somebody a Christian? And he, he went on to explain. But it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That an encouragement, hopefully, to those who do work in the youth club. People are watching you. If people can see Jesus in you, then it's interesting what they pick up on. They can see that joy. So evangelism, the basic principle is living righteously, living a, a holy life. And we can't do that on our own. So you need these other things to build yourself in Christ in order for that to be a positive influence on unconverted people in general. Um, being salt and light, as Jesus said. And the final thing we can't control is faith. And that's what we're reading, that final last bit of the ver verse. Um, when I get to the right bit. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's the Lord that adds to the number. I've thought about this so much, so I'll keep this brief as I can. God's sovereignty in salvation. He alone does the changing of human hearts to enable that true repentance and faith. He did it for me. He did it for you if you know Christ here this morning. And he can still do it if you don't know Christ this morning. So the church, if you like, is his embassy uh, to, the, to, to this lost world that we're living. And you and me are ambassadors. So thinking about the youth club people, you're ambassadors for Christ. Thinking about somebody at the workplace, you're an ambassador for Christ. Your neighbor, you're an ambassador for Christ in your neighborhood, and so on. And this is how the gospel spreads all over the world and how the church grows. In God's wonderful plan, he uses weak vessels like us. And it's God who's bringing his church together through his word as a loving and generous community. We should say that. Pouring out in small ways, small, pouring out in, in, in bigger ways. And what a contrast that is to a world. They reckon that loneliness is probably one of the biggest um, blights on society right now. Loneliness is a real, real problem. So what a contrast that is. And just think about all the different ages and backgrounds and walks of life that we, we represent. There's just no way on earth, and this is not being disrespectful to anyone, there's no way on earth we would be all together other than in Christ. And that's just a fact. And praise God for that. I wouldn't be standing here, that's for one thing. 
but that contrast is what attracts people. So before our conclusion, if you like, have you received forgiveness of your sins through Christ's sacrifice on the cross yet? Now is the day of salvation. And the very next step after receiving forgiveness of sins is to enjoy becoming part of God's family, the church. But what about the person who says, I'm fine just being a Christian on my own. I don't need other Christians. Or someone else might say, can't you just be a Christian without going to church? Well, our passages in Acts and the rest of Scripture would say you're asking the wrong question. Instead, why wouldn't you want to be part of such a loving family? Why wouldn't you want to be? What would happen if every one of us said, I don't need other Christians? How long do you think the church would last? A week? A month? You might stretch it for a couple of months. How long would the church last if we, if we all had that attitude? It's just a nonsense. It's true that when a person becomes a Christian, they're saved as an individual. So there's the difference. We're talking about your salvation there. You're saved as an individual. You're not saved because of your parent. You're not saved because of your friend or, you know, whatever. It's not something you inherit from somebody else. You are saved as an individual. God saves the individual. But no one's saved to be an individual Christian in isolation. Man, did the lockdown not teach us anything? Isolation is rubbish. It's just horrendous. We're not made like that. We're not made like that. God didn't make us like that. And it doesn't matter even if it's not a Christian community. People have realized you need community. But how more precious and special is the Christian community? Otherwise, our church family snapshot would turn into lots of individual Christian selfies. And that would be sad. So these four essential snapshots of the early church we've been looking at this morning may have been new to you, might be a surprise to you, or maybe even a timely reminder to you about what it really means to be church. So the final questions. How will you respond to keep going with the things that are within your control? The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And are you waiting upon God in expectancy to see what he will do in people's lives that's beyond our control, but never beyond him? A reverent fear of God, the favour of people around us, and faith in Christ. I think it would be a miss, especially for those who have made the effort of wearing red, white, and blue, to not mention this last thing, and I promise it is the last thing. Go back to that word, devoted. Sticking like glue. We're in a historic, we've been having a historic celebration, haven't we? One that probably many, many generations are not going to witness ever again, possibly. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee. And 70 years ago, Queen Elizabeth dedicated her life to public service with these words in a speech broadcast on the radio from Cape Town, South Africa. And she said this I declare before you. All that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. 
I can't think of a better prayer and promise to make as a Christian to our God and his church. In fact, the Queen has renewed her lifelong commitment a number of times. Most recently in February this year, she was quoted as saying something similar to her 1947 pledge. She said this, My life will always be devoted to your service. Okay, to those not yet saved, I played with you like Peter did last week in our passage. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Repent of your sins, turn to Christ, and receive him as your saviour and as your Lord. Knowing the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in him. In Romans 10.9 it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For those of us who are saved in Christ, let's renew our pledge to be devoted. If it's good enough for the Queen, it's good enough for us. To be devoted to serving our Father God through his Son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and devoted to serving his great church to which we all belong until he returns. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, I just thank you once again that we've had this privilege of meeting in this place to meet around your word. To think upon you, Lord Jesus, and your ongoing work in the church in its early days and in your ongoing work in the church right now, both in our own hearts and in the life of the church that we belong to, that you've placed us in. We give you thanks, we give you praise for all that you've done, for your great faithfulness to, you, to us, Lord, even when we might not have been always faithful. Lord, you've remained faithful to yourself. We thank you for leading us on, Lord, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you'll grant us the strength to continue to spur one another on to good deeds, to spur one another on, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to spur one another on until we see, as we see your dear approaching, Lord, Lord Jesus. And your church says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people this day and until he returns. Amen.